Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Howdy, this is episode 85. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis in the captain's chair, a little cowboy lingo there for a moment. I thought he was going to say in the saddle. Uh, mm. That's right, no, no, not in the saddle, could be, uh, no, but uh, believe it or not, uh, we are back for a Code of Honor episode, guys. You know, it seems like uh, we're always doing these things. We haven't run out of material yet. Of course, that's not possible for us. No. No. We've said from the beginning, put the three of us in the room and give us any subject to talk about, and we'll give you an hour for sure. So, uh, we're going to do a little bit of... Um, you guys okay with me starting off and just jumping right in? Uh, yes. Go for it, Francis. Start, say, start well, us off. Just, just well, you know, I'm never going for... Well, not never. Because we have said, just talked about in show prep, one of these days... I'm actually going to prepare a quotation ahead of time, and you guys have to wing it. That's right. That's not a problem. Uh, and you guys know I'm a, I'm a movie lover, and I'm going to give you a movie that I know you guys have to know, because all guys know this movie, The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Don Vito Corleone is the quotation I'm going to give you. Now, the screenplay was written by three guys, uh, Robert Town, who doesn't get a lot of play, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, of course, the director, and the original author, Mario Puzo. Yes, that's the author of the novel. Of the novel, that's correct, yes. So uh, that's... Who contributed to the screenplay. Very much so, yeah, exactly. So uh, there was a lot of that going on. It's still one of the great classic movies of all time. I'm a big Godfather number one fan. Mm-hmm. Not so much of the other two. And well, believe it or not, a small aside, they're re-releasing Godfather 3 with a recut just recently. Yes, I've seen something about, about it yeah. re-released, but I didn't realize it was a, a, a new cut. It's, okay. it's a new cut. Uh, the ending changes from what mm. I've been reading. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, uh, I'm not sure what prompted it or why they decided to do it. But you know, the third one has kind of been a meh for most people. They didn't right. like where it ended up. Uh, Pacino himself, he's not going to say anything bad about it, but you know, it, he, it just didn't have what it wanted. This is supposedly an attempt to fix that. The critiques I've been reading is, well, maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't. <laughs> but they definitely changed the way it ends, that's for sure. And I, I won't spoil that, but uh, that's just, that's that's a, that's a big difference. That was one of the critiques of the, of the first uh, first cut. So now there's a now there's a second cut of all that. But I'm not quoting from the Godfather well, 3. Yes, let's proceed. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going to Godfather quote 1. Godfather 1, Vito Corleone. Marlon Brando, my personal favorite. I know the story is really not about him. It's really about Michael Corleone. That's really the whole point. He's the godfather in the name of the of the book. But you don't know that going in. You think it's about Vito, his father. Uh, and Brando, in many respects, steals the show. Pacino does a fantastic job, of course, given lots of accolades. But Brando's the kind of the guy. And this is early in the movie... The movie begins at Vito's daughter's wedding, as you might remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a point, uh, of course, you, you're introduced to the Godfather when he's being asked to do something uh, not very savory. And Vito goes on and kind of ex- explains why he's, you know, you don't speak to me with respect and things like that. During this time, James Caan, we all love James Caan, fantastic mm-hmm. actor, plays Sonny Corleone, the heir apparent. Another one of those, like, man's man kind of guys. Kind of like oh, Sean yeah. Connery. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And James Conn, his character, Sonny Corleone, is a putz. He's an idiot in many ways. Yeah. Uh, he's the eldest son, uh, and he's a womanizer. He's a hothead. He, uh, he, exactly. He's a hothead. Of course, you know, I won't spoil the movie for you, but for God's sakes, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, shame on you, because you should. But uh, uh, anyway... There's a moment at his sister's wedding when Sonny, Sonny is up in the upstairs bedroom diddling around, and that's putting it politely, with the, one, of the what, one of the bridesmaids. That's right. That's just what he did. Well, Vito catches him at it. after he come, And not in the middle of it, but after the fact. It is, and he says a line. And it's a beautiful, beautiful line. I can't say if it's, if it's Puzo. I can't say if it's Coppola or whoever. But he, he chastises Sonny. In fact... Vito chastises Sonny just about through the whole movie for something or other, which kind of illustrates both characters. But Vito says, and here's my quotation, a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Because Sonny has been off, because Sonny has kids and he's married at this time. Yes. And this is a family event. Yes. And Sonny is, his kids, who knows where they're at? His wife, who knows where they're at? 
He's off doing something that a real man shouldn't do. It's not the infidelity so much. The man who doesn't spend time with his family. That Now, take family, ever how you want that to be, in the <laughs> yeah. Sicilian sense. Yeah, because it has two meanings. It's, it's, well, the there's the beauty of it. That's why it's written so well. Because that means, family means something very specific in the universe of the Godfather. But it also means something very universal. Otherwise, he's really chastising Sonny for not being a father to his children and not being a son to him because and a brother yeah. to his sister Connie who's getting married this day. And he's bringing shame to the family that means so much to them. I, I like that. I think that's a powerful statement. A man can never be a real man uh, who doesn't spend time with his family. What do you guys think of that? Well, you know, that's pretty interesting because that historically has sort of been the definition of being a man. Is, you know, your function is not just to have the family, but to care for the family. Absolutely. You don't get to be, you know, spread your sperm and go on. You don't get to be a sperm donor. Well, it, it, it historically, of course, as, as women had very little power, influence, money of their own, whatever, you know, a man who didn't take care of his family financially and emotionally was really thought of as a loser. Rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. You're, you're yeah. you know, you're you're a loser. You know, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be home taking care of your family yeah, and, and providing for their needs. Vito was very old school, of course, mm -hmm. and very traditionalist in many ways. And in many respects, one of the meta themes of The Godfather is the change from the old ways to the new ways. This doesn't have that ring about it because it's more complicated than that. This is one of those old ways things that should stay, that should that should be continued. Ironically, Michael Corleone, in the end, uses family as a cover to do all sorts of things. There is beard. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's not in the traditional sense of beard, but yes. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what he does, because uh, he tells Connie, I mean, not, not, not Connie, his sister, but his wife, Kay, at the end, don't ask me about the business, about the family business. Yeah, don't ask me about my business, Kay. That's exactly right. So, that's, so there's a perversion of the what his father saw as good, and that's kind of the meta theme here is Vito Corleone is an honorable man and Michael <clears throat> is not. Well, but that's, yeah, it's, again, uh, so I will say this. That we just lost every listener under the age of 35. Come on. I'll no, try no. to bring him back. I'll try no, to bring him no, back. No, no, I'm just saying, I, I, I say that not to denigrate your quote, but to point out the difference between our generation and the ones that have come after. Because that quote, while we see it as something virtuous, noble and virtuous and something to aspire to, that would be considered very sexist and, and unwoke by... <laughs> unwoke for a man to provide for, to spend time. Because it, it presumes a patriarchal system where the woman is oppressed. Whether she knows it or not, depending on which feminist you talk to, but it presumes a patriarchal system and a hierarchy within the family. See, I don't think I see it that way because I'm, I'm thinking that a man is not necessary, but if if one is a father... But that's kind of his point. Again, it's alien to us to not think of it as... Yes. Absolutely. Well, of course that's what a man does. You Again, you if you don't provide for your family, you're a loser. But the woke... It doesn't necessarily imply that you have to have a family to not be a loser, by any means. No, no. But to take care of your family, the quote sounds is going to sound like to, 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 to that kind of thinking that you're the sole provider, mom stays home, takes care of the kids. Wow. See, because I didn't think that at all. I'm thinking... No, because again, that's, you that's take it differently. Right. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah. generation, again, we're the ones that see it. It's not just financial support. But the emotional support. Well, it's it's and whatever. You and it do, doesn't preclude the wife working. Well, correct, not at all. Yeah. In fact, uh, we the, don't see it that way. The but mother that's a has generational her own, The thing. mother has her own duties. The father has their own duties. In fact, and that magic, separation of duties is part of the issue. 
Yeah. Well, but but, but they're not. But those d- separations are decided upon by the couple themselves. You're right, and you it's, know, it's in not our generation we see that we are able to see outside of that old school. We we, well, we can see the value is, of that, but we also see that we can make our own decisions, and that the the couple the the married couple is a team. Well, correct. You, exactly. You're. I think you've said it before too, and, and Robert, you uh, um, almost certainly have, have said it. You fill each other's gaps. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You know That's, what you're good at, you do, and what the wife is good this at, she does, and your well team of, of equals. marriage in general. Yeah. That's the intention. It's complementary. What, it's, what it's supposed exactly. to be. That's right. So let me give you an mm. example, though, too. Of uh, again, think beyond financial support. Of course. Very meaningful day for me this week. I was able to take Bjorn to the range yeah. on Wednesday. That's very meaningful for me because I get to share something I enjoy with one of my sons. And they eat it up. They want that. Yeah. They need that. Yes. Yes, they do. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. That's the meaning of the quote then. Yeah, is, caring for your family is not meant to be uh, just simply paying the bills. Yeah. It's it's in fact that's that's and almost tell, a minor you know, thing. telling your wife to shut up and cook. All right. Yeah. It, no, that's not no, what we're talking about. Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, so you know, yeah, because be the, extra woke and understand it at a deeper deeper level. Precisely, that uh, marriage is not a problem. Marriage is in fact the solution. Uh, again, I'm pointing out, and again, I'm not trying to be contrarian. I understand. I, it's just an observation that, that oh, it's caught a good me observation. That, yeah. You know. Yeah. Marriage is not even seen as, as essential one. anymore. Oh, yeah. It, it's entirely an option and a not very important one. See there? Yeah. I understand it's not essential, but I think that it's a good... Well, it's, it's a I good would argue thing. that it is essential. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily required by everybody because not everybody has the temperament to be in a permanent, lifelong well, relationship. Well, correct, yeah. Um, but, although I think many who don't probably could if they actually tried. Yeah, there's some of that. Um you know, like Sonny, he doesn't try. Hmm. Right? No, exactly. And that's, so, there's the issue. He, yeah. he, he doesn't see as anything. He's not subsuming himself into the greater whole. Yes. Which is part of, which is a larger criticism Vito has of him and sees him not as the heir because it gets to the point, even, you know, after, well, okay, I'll say. When they meet with Virgil Salazzo and he says, never tell anyone outside the family what you're thinking. That's right. He has to correct Sonny all the time about everything. That's correct. And, and, and that's why he realizes he's not the, he he can't run this business. Yeah. Well, and Sonny's only killed when Vito's on his back. I see. I was always trying to avoid saying that Sonny gets killed through the movie. It's but, oh, come fifty. On. I was well, going to say forty-five to years old. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, you've got to do that because well, it's not really the end of the film either. Oh, by no means. In yeah. fact, it's uh, Michael cannot ascend in, if Sonny exists. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much so, put up that way. So ideally. You know, the quote illustrates what we believe the theological meaning of marriage. Yeah. Yes. I'll take it to the eternal question yes. here. Yes, go, go, go. So, you know, the ideal is the two shall become one. You know, when we talk about well, it theologically. Kind of where, yeah, that's kind of where I was intending yeah. to, to go with. But not everybody understands it. Almost nobody understands it. Even in Catholic circles, I don't think better than half. Well, I know no better than half understand it because half of Catholics get divorced. Yeah. So, in the same uh, ratio as anybody else. Right. Um, and so that lack of understanding what, what marriage and family is, is, I think, part of the separation from the church. Not just our church, but the, yeah. the church is in the broader yeah. sense. Um, and that theological um, aspect to marriage. Because... Once you're married, the two shall become one. You then become three and four and five and, you know, 92 if you're one of a particular family in my parish. But, man, they're always having babies. I love them. <laughs> um, you know, how how could you not want to spend time with your family? Because you're, you're not wanting to spend time with part of yourself, something that is essentially and mm-hmm. mystically and in a very real way part of yourself now. Yeah. That's why making the right decision on the front end as to who you're marrying is critical. Exactly. It's not to be exactly. taken lightly. You know, the theology of marriage is very much, pardon the pun, married, joined 
to the theology of the Eucharist, mm -hmm. where you know the substance is different. Mm -hmm. The elements may look the That's same. Right. Yeah, there has but been the a fundamental change has yes. happened. We believe that, and you are different. Even the Klingon wedding ceremony is. Uh, my blood, our blood. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. correct. Ultimately, that is exactly what has to happen. See, see, you Not are I zinged one. in the Star Trek you before did. he could do it. That's yes. exactly right. You beat me to that punch. Yeah, that's... that's We've that's been doing big. that a lot lately. He's falling down on the job. <laughs> oh, the pain, the pain. Yeah. Nice no. Lost in Space reference. I thought you might like that. that. It's, it's, yeah, because we get that, but you know, I can say that and people will go, oh, okay, over the head and all the stuff like that. But you're right. It's uh, it's an attempt to speak, and I will say this with regards to the divorce. Divorce rates are going down. Do you know that? In the United I haven't States, statistics like yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I do in my in my right. job, and uh, and that actually gives me a great deal of hope. Uh, the millennial generation wants no part of divorce. Well, well, they're the victims of it. That's you. they're the victims Did, of it. Well, yes, you yes. just went right to it, didn't you? You're exactly right. Either half of them had it happen. Or they know somebody that, you know... That or they did. all know somebody that did. Exactly, yeah. they did. They recognize it's a well, terrible, bloody business, and they don't want any part of it. Let me ask you this, though, uh, since we've segued into it. Yeah. Um, is it that the, the number of divorces are going down? Mm -hmm. Or is it just that the overall number of marriages has gone down That's as a true. percentage of the whole? Therefore, the number of divorces... So what's the that, rate? It hasn't caught up. The, the, the declining number of marriages hasn't caught up with the declining number of divorces enough for there to be a causation. Uh, there's correlation, of course. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. no question. Because hard numbers are going to affect that. That's correct. That. Yeah. But, you know, percentage-wise, the percentage of marriage... the percentage of Are divorces, the trend lines the same? Yes, they are. Then, yeah, correlation is, is very strong then. Yeah. That's right. It's it's getting to that point. Again, the numbers are so huge, and they're actually somewhat recent. You've only got about, you know, maybe 10 years, not even that, not even that, more like five or six is where we're starting to see this these things right. happening. Well, so they're they're delaying marriage a bit as that's well. That's part of it yes. too. That's yet another critical you're, element. You're seeing fewer and fewer 19 and 20 year olds get my married. Is, more like 20, in my belief is 26, 27s. Well, I'm believe my belief is that's related. That's anecdotal. But that's yes. because of what I do. My belief is the reason they're doing this is half of them are children of divorce. They don't want to make the same mistakes their parents made. Yes. And, and they're, they're they're waiting. They're, they're waiting. They're being much much more deliberate. Uh, in their uh, in their choicing, and that's yeah. not a bad thing. No. Well, I mean, we could go on a huge. I mean, you know, that could be an entirely. That's a completely another episode. You know, when we talk about a culture episode, we don't have to do pop culture entertainment. We could do one on things like marriage if we really mm -hmm. wanted to. Absolutely. Want because we've talked about expanding our different categories. Some. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that might yeah. be something to think about. So. <clears throat> Thank you. Interesting. Meet there, yeah. That's right. Interesting. I did not get to imitate Marlon Brando very well. Uh, I'm not that good at it. I it's think. hard to do a good Brando, though. It, it is. Well, his, because he's so good at what he does. From that film. From that film. It's especially hard. Yes. Because he's, he's doing an impression of someone else, almost. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, you he, know, that's not him. He, he actually put cotton balls in his nose and in his cheeks at some point. Uh, and he also was using a teleprompter. So that's why, and it, it which because he didn't want to learn his lines. That's Brando for you at this point, and so he's I got this almost semi divine detachment as he looks off to the screen and gives his lines, which creates the persona of Vito that much more. Yeah, uh, it actually worked for him in this case. It could have worked terribly, but for anybody other than Brando, <laughs> it would have you could have even noticed it. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, who have I ever refused an accommodation? Come on. Yeah, because the Brando in that is different from Brando of On the Waterfront. Or yeah. or Brando from Mutiny on the Bounty, yeah, uh, which shows the man's uh, amazing well, range. Those those yeah. Brandos you can kind of imitate, but yeah, well, yeah, Vito's a challenge to to sound like. Indeed, yeah. he is. All right. Well, speaking of challenges, Robert, I think we may have gotten you on this one. Really? Because he's talking about families and uh, marriage and unions, and I'm going back to individualism. So you're going to have a tough time here. I've gone back to the Nietzsche Challenge well. accepted. <laughs> Excellent. Very good, sir. So I've gone back to the Nietzsche well on one that I just came across. Again, this is not one that I had stashed like my others. The Nietzsche well. I'm liking that turn of phrase. Yeah. That's really good. He keeps fountaining, you know, exploding in our in our lexicon yeah. a lot. So this is a, this is a thus spake Zarathustra. Ooh. Okay, one of his later works. Um, 
You must have chaos within you to give birth to a dancing star. Ooh. Good Lord. You must have chaos within you to give birth to a dancing star. So that is one of these existentialism tenets of, you know, you've, you've got to take risk. You, you've got to... You've got to exercise your freedom or you're going to destroy your ability to think critically. Really? The artistic process, the intellectual process, that's the chaos. Right. What you do with it then, ultimately, is the dancing star. Sure. The The, the creation. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. The output... Uh, the dancing star is the output, but uh, the raw materials are, are, are from chaos, which is very cosmological, actually. So the yeah. raw materials, the, the chaos, that's the inspiration. The yes. execution is the perspiration, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, we touched on this with our Robin Williams episode. Uh, sometimes the most creative amongst us are also the most, dare I say, chaotic. Yeah. Tortured. But- Yes. Uh, the, the the really good ones, uh, and Brando's not a bad example because you know his his family life was was disastrous, and he tried. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that he tried all over the place, uh, and, but he was just was, was something you know. Yeah. He, he tried to be a good father, but wasn't. Uh, and uh, you can see others. Robin Williams is a great example of it too. That you know the 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 caged energy, that chaotic energy that he had with him, made him an enormously talented. Uh, creative force, but it ultimately yeah. was not sustainable. Yeah. It was not. It was not the norm. And I hate to use the word like normative, yeah. but you almost have to be a little bit off yeah. to do creative things. Vincent Van Gogh was a great example too. We did the episode on yeah. him. It was yeah, his brokenness that enabled him to be creative. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it ties to so much of what we talk about. You think about he's writing this in what, the 1880s or something. Yeah. And then you think about all of those revered features in pop culture who burned out so quickly or, or, or yeah. met these tragic ends, like a Robin Williams. Yeah. Janis Joplin. I mean, we could talk about a few others. Right. Uh, so you, you... It's just one that popped in my chaos, head. That 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 churning of the creative juice inside mm-hmm. you, you know. It's this, essential for good output. Yep. And it's very individual. Your chaos is your own chaos. Right. You know, and I've always said, too, that I figure there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who can understand and embrace chaos, not necessarily having a disordered life. Right, right. But but understand that chaos is a part of the universe. It's energy generative. Yeah. And those who must have everything ordered. You must do everything the way I do it. That's the only possible order that things can be in. And Creativity here, lives in the chaos. Yeah, and, and you know we're in one of those moments of you must do things the way I'm saying to do them. You must follow the rules. But my chaos won't let me wear a mask and follow the rules. What do we do? So you've got to you've got to be able to even if it's the not chaos to say you don't wear a mask because you do. Yes, I'm I'm very good at doing the mask and following my instructions. But I'm also comfortable with the notion of the chaos, of understanding that it's out there, we can live with it, everything's going to be okay. So all every human person has some uh, mix of order and chaos within them. Not necessarily. But if you if you've you got had... to be conscious of the notion that chaos is going to exist in the universe. Right. And you can't do anything about it, and then take the next leap. Nor should you. I would. I would disagree with you on the not necessarily. Um, yeah, it's just because a, it's I just would, a question of ratio. Yeah, I think some people are fantastic, absolutely superb at totally suppressing any spark of creativity they may have. And that would yes. Be, see, yes, that's, that's what I mean. Is, it is being suppressed. It's not that it doesn't exist because. When I said You've turned earlier, off the chaos within you. Yeah. When I said earlier uh, the part about the, uh, the the chaos being the inspiration, I used that word very deliberately because inspiration 
Uh, when you talk about something being inspired, uh, when you go back to the uh, talking about biblical roots, that is God breathed. You know, yes, uh, that is uh, the Spirit moving over the waters in Genesis mm-hmm. uh, is related to the word we use for inspire and in inspiration. That's intended to be life giving. It is life giving. That's how it's yes. And so inspiration, I think it's an yes. essential part uh, that cast is an essential part of us because. I would even argue that those people that 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 do not uh, express their creativity that that are they are tacitly acknowledging the chaos around them, and they just submit to it. They have totally surrendered to it mm-hmm. because there's one. It's one thing to say, "All right, I recognize there's chaos around me, and that I'm." You know, and I accept that, and I'm just going to work my way through the chaos that comes to me. That's entirely different than I recognize everything is chaotic, and I can't do anything about it, therefore I shall do nothing. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. the quiet desperation of a life that far too many live. Yeah. Well, I, I think you, you, in rethinking it, I think you're on to something there as well. But I'm sure that you guys, in your experience as well, the, the person that I'm thinking of is, I think, would normally be described as a martinet. That person who has to follow the rules the and rules, cannot do it any other way. Yeah, and, and doesn't, but doesn't even try to understand if a rule exists for a reason. And again, that person who, uh, you must do things my way. You know, well, that, 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 but those are two different type of things, though. One is dictating how it must be, and the other is receiving that which has been told to them. But a lot, of, in my experience, I find that it's kind of that they're a funnel. Whatever they get told or whatever they experience, right. then they must project that onto others. Okay. See, I think that would, and this is not saying you're mired in the mid-level bureaucracy, but to me... <laughs> that would that, be efficient for that. It would. Yes. Because I find that those who are the originators of this is what you must do are not also following that. They tend to be the ones that say, well, I make the rules. I don't have to follow them. Yes. Well, sometimes so, and there's a there's a huge difference yeah. between there's some of that, but there. But uh, I would go because that politically and socially, I think that's a because that's, that's kind of got a sinister bent to it, and I don't want. I don't think it's always that. I think sometimes well, I don't think it's it, necessarily always sinister. I just think it's people who like to set the rules are, in my experience, often think they are above the rules that are set. Which to me that to, that's that is a sinister thing. I would, well, think, but not intentionally necessarily. Well, perhaps, is my point. Well, yeah, but yeah. it is a it. it it is a way of setting yourself apart from others. Absolutely. Well, that's great. And not, and, not subsuming yourself. That is not great leadership. Social. That's a functional leadership, but great leadership to me would be somebody that says, here's how it should be done. Here's why it should be done. Yes. And there are exceptions to this, depending on circumstances that we can work through. I may be an exception sometimes, but not always. I think you that's, may be an that's the big sometime. key that of what Rob was talking about. There's an is, adaptiveness that is yourself. missing in that. Yeah, don't see yourself that's as proscribed an in at all levels. You will do it this way because I say so, but I don't have to. That's prescription all the way through. Here's six hundred dollars, but is different. I have two twenty-five thousand dollar refrigerators in my house, but here's six hundred dollars. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow! You did. I, I put designer it. ice cream in the freezer of one of them. Yes. <laughs> My goodness, you just you just uh, went but nailed it. it. It's what, but that's the thing that everybody's feeling right now. Right. Is there's there's, there's so much evidence of these rules being put on us that are not that are really, not being followed by those who put the rules on us. That's right. Right. I mean, and that's been true for a long time. Yeah. You know. It's a lot more in people's face right now because it's never been, and maybe not never, but it's so rarely such an explicit of these are the rules that you must follow. Yeah. Uh, it's usually far more subtle than that. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, in a way I think that kind of is kind of off topic from the essence of your quote. Let's go yeah. back to your quote. Yes, go. No, I mean, let's go back to your yeah. quote. Repeat it. Oh, you must have chaos within you to give birth to a dancing star. So yes, where I you know when I saw this and what what hooked me is again we we've talked about the creative process many times we've we've talked about art you know that's specifically yeah. craft the craft we use you know, that a lot um, for and inspiration so I, I knew this yeah. would appeal to Robert a great deal 
because it would be right in that Van Gogh, Michelangelo, the, the mm-hmm. chaos within them, birthing those dancing bur- stars. Birthed is a very good word. It really is, it's especially considering word. the quote you used. Oh, I, hell, have we handed him the connector? I think it's yeah. time to hand him the baton. Oh, before we hand you the baton... Oh, what, what are we drinking today? Yes, let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, uh, almost bourbon. Oh, gentlemen, the pain, the pain. Here yes. I went and bought you guys a nice $30 Basil Hayden dark rye. It's, it's good. It's made in Kentucky, gentlemen, so we're not, we're, you know, we're not uh, absenting ourselves from that rule. Yes. It is a rye whiskey, though. And it but is it's good. it's Kentucky. I like yeah. it. It's not from that state, you know, down below us or anywhere else. That's right. Uh, we have the uh, wonderful uh, darkness to this, and I, I, I poured us all uh, a little bit of this beforehand. I never touched mine yet until now. Oh, I've been sipping mine it's throughout a, the entire episode. Yeah, yeah no, it's you guys almost, have. It's almost a cola colored. Hold that to the light. Let's, let's see. So, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's, yeah uh, you know, it says dark rye. It's definitely dark. Yeah. So yeah, kind of a cola colored, but it doesn't it doesn't taste like bourbon. To uh, me, it's harsher. Um, that's not the right word. No, no, stronger. Um, no, no, but it's it's got a different flavor. But it's it, it's got good flavor. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, there is. I mean, this is just what I associate with with whiskey as opposed to bourbon. Even though technically bourbon is called a whiskey, I don't like to call it whiskey. To me, mm-hmm. they're they're separate categories. Yeah. yeah. But there's almost a hint to me of that medicinal. Uh, aspect that that Martin, Martin hates hates yeah and rightly so right yeah now, I don't think of this as you know no. like Nyquil medicinal this doesn't have that flavor I, for me. I, I find a hint of it in there just a very small well, you're, hint. Martin you're the one that's usually sensitive to that though you have not I did not that. pick that up from it yeah again I do feel like it is a different flavor from bourbon the rye the rye gives a um kind of a candy flavor to it almost to me. Really? I didn't get that. So It's got a burn to it that stays in the back of the throat. It does. That's that's where I'm picking up the rye flavor. Exactly. Like if you yes. ever have um, rye toast, rye bread, yeah. um, th- I'm getting a hint of that kind of flavor in the and back. And it stays so that, with you a while. Yeah. It, it, like, um, it makes a really good sipping bourbon for that reason. That's or that, sipping whiskey. Sorry. Well, yeah, that's it makes some sense to that. Yeah, it stays with you. Wow. I mean, I I just took you know a substantial drink, and it's still with me here. You know, at least a minute, minute and a half afterwards, and I'm going to have another one. Well, right I'll now. tell you what, and you get a nice burn in the stomach too. You get some heat there. I'm having my neat. Yes, I think that's the difference. My initial one was with well, ice. That's correct. Yes. That changes the flavor more than I expected. Really? To me, the, to me, the ice in the rye changes the flavor profile more than ice in bourbon does. And that's not something you wanted. You didn't know. You didn't know it until you had it. It, it doesn't matter. It's it's good either way, but it does change the profile a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, you're right. Toasty. That's good. Uh, yeah, kind uh, of a kind of that. Ham and Swiss on rye, sort of. I was thinking the pastrami, but that's okay. Oh, pastrami on I'll rye. I tell you, oh yeah, you know that. It's oh right. man, that's the king right there. That's, yeah. That's so good. yeah, it, it does give you a little bit of that flavor profile to it. Yeah, but no, I'm not getting the medicine. That's, no, so that's good. there maybe you go. It's just, maybe it's just me. Could be. You never know. I've uh, heard I could be wrong every once in a while. Your wife doesn't happen you much. Your wife told you that, I'm sure. Probably my mother-in-law. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. Of course, we we'll go to the highest authority here. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but anyway, skip a bit, brother. What's and, your quote? Well, no, we've got one other item of business again because oh, I just wanted to say we're in the Baxter Building again yes, today, we are. recording uh-huh. uh, at the second floor of the Baxter Building for Studio F, and just enjoying ourselves uh, like crazy. I also want to remind people that uh, we do have swag. We have merch. We have merch. It's right. Snyder's merch. That's right. We're in the. Process of making it available on a wider uh, little, spectrum, little e-commerce, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, check out the pictures on on the website. Uh, Snakesandotters.com. That's right, yeah. Snakesandotters.com, and you know, catch catch the content too. But yeah. you'll see pictures of the 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 night. Very nice hoodie, great design, worked excellently. 
Martin, we have you to thank for that. And send, send an email uh, or leave a comment. If you want one, we, we'll see about hooking you up. That's Amen. right. And as long as you're commenting on things, you might as well you know leave us a review on, on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. The Spotify. Helps people find us. Wherever we are. Yeah, That's we're, right. We're, because we're everywhere, gentlemen. That's right. We're on we all, all the major platforms. That's we're right. everywhere. So, so worldwide. If, That's right. Kind of like Nick Fury. That's right. Okay. I'm liking that. Little Samuel L. here. That's right. We're Nick Fury on the way to becoming Thanos. We're not quite inevitable yet, but we're getting there. We're That's getting right. there. That's right. Nick Fury. Nick right. Shield. All right, Robert. Now we'll turn it over to you, brother. Okay. Okay. The hammer. So, I didn't bring the hammer with me to. That's all right. I bring my own hammer to the Baxter Building. Uh, so, oh, was that a genitals joke? Was, uh, take was it however you wish. Penis joke. Take it however you wish. Oh, good lord. Uh, so my quote is actually it's it's anonymous. I, I don't have a source for it, okay. uh, but um, I think that I can make this tie into both of your quotes very well. It's going to more obviously tie into Martin's quote. Okay, but I will okay. make it tie into Franny's. The quote. hammer has never failed us as of yet. We'll so, see. No masterpiece was ever created by a lazy artist. So I love this. Uh, having majored in art, uh, I know what goes into creating even bad works of art. Mm. I have far more experience with creating bad works of art than I do <laughs> masterpieces, unfortunately. Um, but you cannot create and be lazy, not if you're truly going to do it. Uh, you know, you can half-ass something all day long, but you've not really created anything uh, at that point, you know, whether it's art or anything else. So... You know, Martin, you talked about um, inspiration is found in the in the chaos, and uh, the way I phrased it was the uh, the the order is in the perspiration, the execution of that. Yes, the determination to get it accomplished. Right, then. and that by its very definition implies you know the the artist, the creator, is not lazy uh, because it implies something. Not not every masterpiece is actually finished michelangelo had several master what are considered masterpieces today yeah uh they were unfinished works partially that's because he couldn't see yeah uh but they have a raw energy mm -hmm. in their unfinishedness that they are complete enough yeah uh but that lazy artist to me that's the part that and the masterpiece because the one implies that it is really good you know beyond just oh that's nice you know pretty picture uh, to something great. And it does take work. But that also implies that, because the masterpiece part, as well as not being lazy about it, implies that there is great inspiration. Uh, it takes great inspiration to create a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, it, create, it needs a lot of chaos as the source. Because great art, I think, does pull from a lot of different things. And whether it's uh, painting, sculpture, music... Uh, writing writing was where I was going to go uh, with that. Yeah. or any other kind of masterpiece because I don't limit this to just art okay, or music no. well, I, art in the broadest sense uh, of the term I think a masterpiece can be a lot of different things hey a well executed IT project can very well be a masterpiece yeah. absolutely and to tie this back to Franny family is the ultimate masterpiece well, yes, I was, I was absolutely. And you cannot be lazy in your family. Well, you must not be. Uh, otherwise, it's not a masterpiece. That's what I was yeah. well, stealing my failure. thunder. A huge failure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you you, you kind of moved your hand over to me like you say, okay. Well, it's because I was looking at you while I was take talking. It, I didn't want to just look at Martin the entire time. Look at him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sorry. Oh, dude, sorry. that's harsh. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, that's all right. Because you, you took your yeah, swag It was off. there. It was I there. I forgive you, my son. Um, so, you know, if you want to create a masterpiece of a family, which to me implies that you have, uh, you know, well-rounded people in it, you know, presumably mother, father, sons, daughters, whatever, uh, you know, a lot of work goes into that. You know, as husbands and fathers, we all know that mm -hmm. it is not easy to be married or have children. And it's doubly difficult, if not more so, to do both at the same time. And do it well. I mean, it can be done. It can be done like and crap. Anybody can do it like crap. Absolutely. Because it doesn't take any effort to do, to do it like crap. It right. takes a lot of work. And to to liken this back to what we talked about um, uh, earlier, you know, creation 
is an act of the divine. We can only imitate and use that spark of the divine within us to create. That's how God allows us to participate in creation. Yeah, Co-creation at, at best. And it is uh, when we participate in it and when we use that spark of the divine to, to, to take that what looks like chaos to us because we can't understand everything. Great art, great masterpieces is our way of making sense out of what is not fully knowable. I mean, talking about theologically. Ooh. The Omega okay. Molecule to go to Star Trek. Yeah, there you go. There. Yeah. yeah, see, you're wondering if I was uh, going to figure out a way to do this. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if that is our way of making sense out of what is not fully knowable, the masterpiece, especially art uh, and, and music and so forth, because it is um, far more participatory, let us say, uh, by others, uh, as far as a broader number of people, as opposed to our family. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our family, obviously, there's participation in that by a broad number of people, but it's related by blood or by adoption or by Marriage. close familial yeah, or close like personal relationships. You guys are family, but you're not blood. You know, right. so I mean, it's, it's you know, right. um, so all of this to me. You know, it, it, it's it's not the same, but it, we're, we're talking about the same kind of stuff. You know, the masterpiece that is the family, that is our participation in God's work in creation, uh, our uh, relationships with one another mirroring the relationships, a relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of that stuff. Uh, to me, you cannot separate any of this. Because there's a key component in those relationships, too, that makes marriage work, but is also a reflection of divine, is equality. Yes. There's yes. an equality to the relationships, mm -hmm. and that's what makes them a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a quality, there's a, there's a uniqueness, but there's also yeah, a blend. sameness, yeah, yeah. And that's true in, in art and music and, and you know, what we think of yeah. traditionally creative uh, aspects. Mm -hmm. It's true in children. There's a uniqueness, but it is oh so much a blending. Mm -hmm. you Absolutely. Know? And again, you can fail your children, you can fail your spouse, you can fail your, your extended family, your friends, uh, you can fail society at large only by being, not only, but essentially by being a lazy artist. Because you're falling you know, down on your job. In other words, effort itself will get you there. <laughs> Not just effort, well-directed effort. I understand, uh, yeah. Because I think that's the bringing order yeah. out of the chaos. Because chaos doesn't stay chaos. It can't. Well, it, But chaos is... It's, it's ever-renewing. ...is the natural starting point. Correct. It's, yeah. it's the... To Nietzsche, that's, you know, that individuality, that seeing things differently than others... That chaos is the starting point to reason and creativity. Because he, I don't, not an Nietzsche scholar, as much as we've talked about him, but I don't think he separates reason, intellect, from creativity. To him, they're the same animal. That's, that would be, yeah, that sounds right uh, on, on there. Uh, we do a disservice to try and separate those things out anyway. Uh, he's, he's very uniquely fully human, Nietzsche's approach is. It's, it's holistic. Uh, it's that's what he's striving for. That's what he's yes. trying, yeah. It, you know, because, and he's right, because it is complicated, as Trevor Slattery would say, that you've got to have all these things. Uh, uh, but chaos, it sounds to me like, is the fuel. Chaos, that, and Martin, you're going to love this, is free will. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because it could be, it, it is nothing and yet could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is impossible for us, this is where I was talking about the unknowable, making sense out of the unknowable. Mm -hmm. It is impossible for the human mind and intellect to wrap our brains around all of the possibilities. That's right. We're, we're not, we're it's not infinite. impossible. We're not omniscient. We can predict with a fair amount of certainty certain things, yeah. but we cannot predict. On the, you know, second to second. We cannot predict even large-scale things accurately all the time. Heck, we can't even predict the weather correctly yet. Right. And 
free will when it comes to the hum human person, that's where the chaos comes in because you never know what somebody else is going to do. Yeah. Well, Harry seldom tried that, but uh, it didn't work out that well. True. That's right. There's always a mule that comes along that's and messes things up. Folks, that's a, that's a reference to Isaac Asimov's fantastic trilogy, and I kind of stop yes, at the Yes, the fantastic trilogy. trilogy yes, yes fantastic. <laughs> Found, the Foundation trilogy. Uh, I still kind of count the first three as the real stuff. The others were interesting sides. The fourth was good, but the fifth sucked. Yeah, well, that's... It, it, see, I, but the fifth was a direct pull from the fourth true so uh and then there's the prequels nothing wrong with them folks actually i kind of enjoyed the prequels they were okay uh i did enjoy the, the fifth one foundation earth i kind of liked how you tied other things with it i oh, see that was that's the one i hated the most well i know exactly we've had this discussion yeah, many yeah. times uh, but the first three are solid they are they are they are, they are, they are you can get them in fact uh i just for my dear son for christmas i gave him a leather-bound copy of the first three Oh, that very I was nice. Able to find. I even inscribed it on the inside. It's Excellent. worth your time spending time with the foundation works. It's Asimov's pinnacle in many respects. Uh, his humor comes through. His brilliance comes through. It's just, it's it's worth your time. And, it, and they're actually easy reads. It, and it's good, solid There's writing. Creativity for you because it is. Uh, it's been a long time since I've read it, but it, it it's it's indicative of the writing of the fifties mm -hmm. in the sense that if it's not essential to be there. It's not. That's true. That's kind of a Hemingway holdover, too. Well, this is also partially because a good portion of this was serial, serialized yeah. at first. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. So That's right, yeah. Uh, that will that lends it to it. But um, anyways, it, back well, to... Well, that's kind of what I was going to go with is, you know, writing in particular is a unique expression of art that you can't lazily do that well. But people try to do it lazily all the time. Yes. Most people don't sit down at, a, at an easel and decide that they're going to paint. But there are, lots, there are millions of people that sit down and think they can write. Well, people all people have told modern society, decades probably, maybe even centuries, that everybody has a book in them. Like, mm, no. <laughs> Not so maybe, much. Maybe, but doesn't mean I want to read it. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I spent... I, I, for those reader listeners, you know, I working on a novel, and uh, Robert, you are too. You working on several, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, I've only got one in process, but I'm fleshing out um, ideas for the. For the and I have one. four sequels in mind for mine. And one of the things that I've done in the last year is I have studied the craft in intense form, and I think you've done a little bit more of that too. You've done it longer, but uh, there's it, it astounds me. That A, it's not that hard, but there is a lot of work that has to be done. To go with what you say, you can't lazily write a good book. Well, there are exceptions to that rule, but even he doesn't do it lazily uh, in the sense that, because I think he's got an incredibly ordered mind, and that's uh, Stephen King. Stephen King, yeah. He is the ultimate pantser, meaning... Yeah. He can have an idea. Yeah, that's how he works. But he's got talent to do to to, to fill in that. Well, he and he's he does learned his it, craft too. He, he oh yes yes. The, it, he, you, yeah. If you read his books in the order they were written, um, not that you have to, but I'm just saying as as far as craft goes, you can see the progression over years. Right. And uh, his book on writing, which I recommend anybody that wants to write. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. It, it's short. You should read it. It's kind of a quasi biography, but it tells you if you if you're not doing those things. You're not even, you know, you you are lazy. Yeah, I do disagree with him on certain things. Like uh, he says uh, uh, in a, in a uh, Google him on YouTube. There's a bunch of videos, and he talks about how um, uh, the notebook is the tool of the untalented writer or something like that. Because uh, mm. some writers, you know, some writers real big on everything, every idea, write it down. Right. He writes nothing down except what he's writing. Right. Uh, He's that genius level well, Robin Williams it's, kind it's of talent. He's got writer. a notebook. It's in his head, for goodness sake. Exactly. And if you've got that talent, God bless you. You know, some people can do that. Yeah. Uh, others absolutely can't. Now it's, it is. You, you made a comment earlier that it is so easy. It's easy to put words on the paper for some people. Others know it's absolutely impossible. Well, sure. Um, but the first draft, which is always the worst. Yeah, it's by it, definition. Most artists will tell, or most writers will tell you, the first draft is always shit. Uh, even Sting, Stephen King will tell you, take the first draft, and the first thing you do is cut ten percent of it. <laughs> yeah, um, among many other things. Among yeah. many other things, yeah. Um, but 
again, it goes back to the do it well. Exactly. That's you. You, you have nailed it exactly. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time on Quora uh, with, and there are people that are constantly querying questions about writing. And one of my, and I've never met her. She's written 137 books. Mercedes Lackey. Oh yeah, she, yeah. Because I know you've read her. She, she's fantastic, and she is so blunt. And uh, so many times they'll say, you know, well, I need to make $800,000. This is one of the questions I read recently. Uh, and I'm going to do that by writing. How do I do that? And she puts up, of course, the, uh, the, the meme of the seal laughing like, you know, oh, really? You know? Yeah. Occasionally we'll get the one. I like to use the one from Game of Thrones. Oh, my sweet summer child. What do you know about fear? <laughs> because that, that there's, a, there's an amazing level of ignorance that's wrapped in hubris about writing. Thinking well, that anybody only... can write, because it's easy to publish, if you wanted to self-publish now. And Which is actually a phenomenal thing. It, it self-publishing is. Self-publishing uh, is the Gutenberg Press. Sure. I mean, that's the game changer that it is. Right. The problem being is 99% of the stuff that gets published is often crap. Crap. Uh, well, I tell you what. Because they're lazy. Well, I think it's less that they're lazy so much as they didn't have anyone to help them learn the craft. That's right. Because I I read a ton of fiction on my phone all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and one of the things that sets apart good fiction from, and I, I mean just good, not yeah. great, just, right? Just good, 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 good serviceable, you know, solid, serviceable, entertaining, yeah. you know, readable, is that they took the time to actually edit the damn thing. Well, that's yeah. it. That's that's exactly right. And by edit, I don't mean just. Uh, you know, use the same name for this character throughout, which I have seen not done. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. God, um, yeah. Grammar and just, punctuation. Oh, the grammar and punctuation is inexcusable in this yeah. day and age. That's correct. Word does it for you, most of it. Well, uh, and you can get pro writing aid, Grammarly, these other absolutely. tools that, There's plenty of other that stuff do it to... even, even better than Word will. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, taking the time to, to, to do a little bit of editing to make sure you're consistent, uh, just to... Again, it's the time. Yeah. Shouldn't you love your creation? Isn't well, it? we didn't talk about that, but if those that create, it is meant to be, creative process is a process of love. Oh, absolutely. It's so, not a dancing star otherwise. Well, that's exactly right. right. So therefore, if you as creator, you should love your creation so much that you're willing to do whatever it takes for that creation to succeed. That's where Frankenstein falls off the rails, because Dr. Frankenstein did not love his creation once he did so. Bing, 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 bing here. I will segue more into the eternal questions. There we go. There we go. Happy to set that one up, sir. Pitch the ball across the plate. So what you just said Mm -hmm. describes not just the essential realities of human relationships, but... Back to marriage. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because you should love your creation, which broadly defined here, we're talking about family, correct. spouse, children. children. That's correct. Uh, and in a broader term, relationships with those, right. yeah, those around you. Because you you created your spouse through the act of marriage. You created your yes. children through the act of yeah. procreation, which right. is, stems from marriage. And you've created your life. Well, that's correct. With with all of that. Right. That's, that was and a you should be choice. willing to do... Whatever it takes, uh-huh. you should be willing to die for your creation. Yes. All right. Yeah. Now, some people, unfortunately, like Robin Williams, kind of did. Now, he yeah. didn't do it specifically for his creation, but it's kind of as a result of his state because he was so creative. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a limp analogy, so, or a limp analogy, so it kind of yeah. limps. But you guys understand what I mean. Yeah. But if you're willing to die for it, it has meaning. You're you know, nobody's willing to die for the stick figure painting, right? Or drawing. But would you die to save the Mona Lisa? Maybe. Or Michelangelo's David or his Pieta. There's a difference of quality between a masterpiece and a stick figure. Well, because a masterpiece everyone recognizes. Yes. It's there is inherent beauty in a masterpiece. Or a significant number, we'll say. Yeah. I mean there's yeah. always there's yeah. always yeah. Yeah, there's well, always uh, again. Yeah. A it's critical a mass star. worth of yeah. people. Yeah. A, it, in order for a, the star to dance, you've got to have a critical mass of people that agree it's that. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, so there's inherent beauty in in the masterpiece, whether that yes, is that's it, the family, the the book, the poem, the painting, the sculpture. Right. Even there with its is, flaws. 
because yeah, they all oh, yes. have them. Yes. yes. Yeah, we, we're not excluding that. And in beauty, there is truth. The church talks about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. If it is beautiful, there is an inherent, an inherent truth. This gets back to the chaos is inspired. It yes. is that d- spark of the divine. And that, you know, these things to me, they're, again, I, I, I'm really, you guys know this, I'm, I'm the connection guy. Yeah. And I, that's what I, that's part of being the hammer is bringing all this stuff together. Yeah. That spark of the divine, that being willing to die for it, it's because you want the best for whomever. Oh. That is love. Wanting the best, the greatest for the other is love. It's not romance. Absolutely. And I can tell you, to use Michelangelo as the model for this, that is best exemplified in the creation of Adam, the divine touching the finger of the listless Adam. That is, the chaos is betwixt them. God gifting the chaos to Adam. Adam is the lazy artist before God touches the finger. Exactly. Exactly. Damn, we're good, boys. Wow. Wow. To bump right, So we took a screenplay yes. in Nietzsche and Robert hammered it all together and we Into came all the way back to In Beauty There Is Truth. So... A religious precept, something that Nietzsche would also have argued for, despite being unreligious. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he recognizes you know the, the universal yeah. truth there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how you how you work with it. Excellent, excellent. But it exists. Excellent stuff. Dang, another another fantastic. There's a reason people love these episodes the best. I think, and I think I like you know if we did this every week, I'd be happy too. <laughs> It's not like we're ever going to run out of ideas. That's for sure. We, well, uh, I, mean, I enjoy. I, this I like. The most. I like the very. The I do too. I love the variety. I like, I like everyone that we have. It's is. chaotic to bounce from thing to thing, right? And I'm embracing the chaos. Yeah. Well, and you know that gives honestly, it's what makes uh, this its own form of art. Yeah. Uh, yes. Because it is creative. It's, you know, and it does spark it's, creativity. Yeah, it's a creative outlet. The chaos, one of the reasons that's the spark, the, the divine spark for the, the creativity, yeah. it's because that's where you draw from so many sources. Nobody creates something new without being inspired by something proper. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah. the chaos. Yeah. That's all the something different factors is, that are affecting us. In, 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 in fact, it's probably infinite inspiration. Yeah. If, to, to make a masterpiece, it almost yeah. requires that. Because you're constantly being inspired and, as writing the, the novel. I get inspired... From all sorts of things. And you'll never know where it's going to come from. We talked about, on, on the way back from lunch, we talked about how you hate American cheese. And that's going to figure into my novel. <laughs> I figured out a way. Seriously, I figured out a way. Because one of the characters is going to say American food is, is crap. Because he's Russian. Oh, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, he's going to hate American cheese just because of what you just said. <laughs> See, and, and, you from caviar to American cheese. Well, no, it, well, no. To illustrate the difference between Russian well, cuisine and not American. really that. I mean, he's a Soviet. Uh, don't get. Uh, I'm not going to go into the, the book. It's only about a third of the way written. I do have my first draft, one third of the way written, though. All right, so, excellent. So Excellent. That's, uh, How many right. words into it are you? Uh, Fifty thousand. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to it's it's probably going to the first draft's going to be long. You know, if it's uh, hundred and thirty thousand, that's a little high, but that's okay. That's, that's about that's where I expect it to end. Uh, and you guys will be helping me, I'm sure, when I. Uh, uh, if you want, I can even give you the first third if you want to read no, no, it. No, no. You want, well, you want, the, com- ready. You want the complete full Monty. And, and you know, and like I, said, I think I've said this before, maybe not on on, uh, on, on, air. on the podcast on air, you know, I'm okay with waiting until the second or third draft because the first draft, well, some are, some writers will tell you, some writers, writers will tell you that nobody but the writer should ever read the first draft. There you go. Well, there's some developmental things, though, that I want some weigh in on. That's the sure. reason for that. Uh, right. Is that way... Uh, to kind of make sure that all this works, and that's that's, and I'm not going to hire developers. Yeah, and you're actually about the same. I'm about fifty thousand words into mine. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so you've you've done quite a bit. I have. I've I've worked thirteen chapters into it, and uh, it's it's at the, the end of the first act in the three act structure. Uh, it's a little longer than I expected it to be. The second act, things ramp up a lot. And there's not going to be a soggy middle in this one. But this is going to be right. some, some heavy stuff. All right. That's pretty good stuff. That's, that's, yeah. But we're at the one hour mark. So, Francis, what is next time? Heroes. We go back to Heroes. This is one we've been talking about doing for a while. But we wanted to make sure we arranged it to drop in January. Because we're going to talk about the man behind the civil rights movement. We're going to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And 
oh my God, so much that we owe him, so much that he fought for, flawed though he was. But that's, you know, in many respects, that's what a good hero is. Uh, a hero is a hero despite their flaws, not because of them, but they always have them. And this man here was a giant in so many ways. And we're going to go deep as best we can in an hour with him uh, to celebrate uh, his birthday in January. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.